It's hard to find the time to read all of the best articles on Bitcoin and the crypto economy. So let me read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. On October 1st, 2013, Ross Ulbricht was captured and caged for his role in bringing about the Silk Road website. In honor of the injustice of Ross Ulbricht's sentence and on the anniversary of the day that the Silk Road website was officially shut down, I wanted to read a piece by Ross Ulbricht that he wrote behind bars and has been published on Medium. It is titled, Bitcoin Equals Freedom. Something special happened in the first year or so after Satoshi gave us Bitcoin. Something no one expected and many thought was impossible. Try to imagine Bitcoin back then, before you could buy things with it, before there was an exchange rate, before anyone really knew what, if anything, would happen with it. Bitcoin didn't start out as money. It became money, but it did so unlike any money that came before it. For all the things Bitcoin has made possible, for all the ways it is changing our world, we don't fully appreciate or even understand what happened in those early days when it was just a plaything for geeks. Every other money that predates Bitcoin in the long history of human civilization was valued for reasons other than its use as money. Cattle in Africa, postage stamps in prison, seashells and precious metals all have been used as money and fit this pattern. The only exception is fiat money, something declared to be money by an authority. But even national fiat currencies were once backed by something with prior value, like gold. Bitcoin changed all of that. Bitcoin had no prior value, and no one was forced to use it. Yet somehow, it came to be a medium of exchange. People who don't understand and care little for Bitcoin can nevertheless accept it as payment because they know it can be used to pay for something else or be exchanged into conventional money. People often mention the pizzas that were bought for 10,000 Bitcoins and in hindsight, poke fun at the guy who ate what would become a multi-million dollar lunch. I'm more interested in the person who gave up two perfectly good pizzas for mere bitcoins. What did he see in those bits and bytes, that digital signature on something people were calling a blockchain? Whatever motivated the pizza seller may have also called to the early miners who could not liquidate but happily hoarded. It may have inspired the ones who simply gave bitcoins away by the thousands. Whatever it was, it was something new. Classical economics says exchange won't happen unless both parties value what they are getting more than what they are giving up. So where did the value come from? Bitcoin should never have gotten off the ground, but it did. Even a new product has some kind of value to it, and early adopters are taking a risk that they won't get their money's worth but they still expect to gain from the exchange. The early adopters of Bitcoin, on the other hand, had no way of knowing what we do now. All they had was a dream, a conviction 
and enough infectious enthusiasm to bootstrap a digital contrivance into a multi-billion dollar phenomenon we are only beginning to see the effects of. I'll tell you what I think happened, but the truth is, no one knows. It is like magic that Bitcoin could somehow come from nothing and without prior value or authoritative decree, become money. But Bitcoin did not appear in a vacuum. It was a solution to a problem cryptographers had been struggling with for many years. How to create digital money with no central authority that couldn't be forged and could be trusted. This problem persisted for so long that some left the solution to others and dreamed instead of what our future would be like if decentralized digital money did somehow come to be. They dreamed of a future where the economic power of the world is accessible to everyone, where value can be transferred anywhere with a keystroke. They dreamed of prosperity and freedom dependent only on the mathematics of strong encryption. Bitcoin was therefore birthed onto fertile ground and was recognized by those that had been waiting for it. This was an historic moment for them. Far more important than pizzas or electric bills run up from mining. The promise of freedom and the allure of destiny energized the early community. Bitcoin was consciously, yet spontaneously, taken up as money while no one was watching. And our world will never be the same. That is Bitcoin equals freedom by Ross Ulbricht. Let's hit our sponsor and we'll talk a little bit about this piece. Who better to explain and truly understand that Bitcoin's utility is freedom than Ross Ulbricht? That is what those early adopters saw. That's what those cypherpunks saw. That's what the cypherpunks had been trying to build for 30 years prior. That was the initial promise of the Bitcoin system and technology. Was that if it ever became anything that was ever valuable for any reason, the user and holder of that Bitcoin could find a degree of freedom in the ownership and use of Bitcoin that could not be achieved through any alternative means. That is its utility. We call it a combination of independence and censorship resistance and uh, monetary soundness and uh, ledger integrity and all these things. We give it all these different elements, but all it adds up to, what all of it together is actually giving us, is freedom. I really enjoyed this piece, um, and it, I think it makes it all the more powerful that Ross Ulbricht uh, wrote this while in prison. They've got the handwritten uh, version of this posted in images below the Medium article. Because, you know, it's very easy for someone like Peter Schiff to dismiss an argument like this. Um, it's really exactly someone who is, in that general sense, uh, already free. Uh, so to speak, that doesn't understand the inherent element to the protocol that nothing else can offer. But someone in Venezuela or somebody in Ross's position, well, they don't take that for granted. They don't dismiss it as some abstract or undefinable value. 
they have a very clear picture as to what freedom means and why it's not only a sufficient utility to bootstrap something like Bitcoin as a network, but that it's one of the most valuable utilities one could ever hope to acquire, particularly as something that's often fleeting and very difficult to secure and hold on to as freedom. Truly, what is the worth of anything if you are not free? If I have a billion dollars, but I have no control over how I actually spend it, well, then what's great about having all that money? If I'm not free to spend it as I wish, restricted only by the inability to infringe on someone else's freedom, then do I even own the money? I mean, if we don't own ourselves, how could we possibly own anything else? I really love his musings about the first people who saw Bitcoin or, or used Bitcoin. You know, remember, Bitcoin made it over an entire year without having any market price whatsoever. It was the pizza event, which technically, um, uh, we actually found that there was a previous transaction, just one that wasn't so public and also wasn't quite so, I guess, iconic as the whole pizza thing. But that was more than a year after uh, Bitcoin went live. So miners kept the network alive, were burning energy and overheating their computers. People were sending and receiving transactions, trying to figure out what this thing really was and what we could actually do with it. Those first adopters, like what did, what did they see? I mean, the cypherpunks knew what the value was. They've been trying to build a system to accomplish what Bitcoin has for decades. And I bet that guy who gave away those two pizzas just to get some totally worthless digital points saw the potential. They saw the possibility of the freedom that Bitcoin could enable. You know, every argument about the, the regression theorem or intrinsic value or it has to have some other utility, like those things are meaningless when we're talking about a monetary good after it achieves its first price. All of those economic theories were there to justify the creation of money, and, and historically, they are accurate. I might add, as Ross actually points out, those other utilities were simply there to establish the initial value of a good, and then because it has value, the community, the network emerged in, in seeing how well that good could then solve the colossal challenge of sound money. And again, this was emergent. It's not even something that they, they voluntarily chose. It's something that perfectly fulfilled that role. So it's not like they were conscious of it. It's not like they were going down the, the checklist of what makes a good money. It simply fulfilled the role because it had certain characteristics that made it an incredibly good money. It matters nothing at all what that first utility is. For glass beads, it was because they were collectibles. They were scarce. For gold, it was shiny and malleable. For rhinestones, maybe it was, I don't know, that they were bold, that they were, they were big, and they, they told a story. They, they said, you know, look at this massive, heavy thing that I've made, a uh, proof of work, so to speak. For salt, it was for spicing food. It was for food consumption, and uh, it was the best preserver of food for ages and ages. 
And you know, what about seashells, animal teeth, wampum? Like, notice that none of these things share anyone's specific utility other than the fact that they had acquired some value and then their emergence as a monetary good made all of the other values completely irrelevant because they became money. Their greatest value and most important use case was as money. There are plenty of incredibly shiny things that people do not wear around their neck. There are many alternative collectibles. There are truly billions of other goods in the economy that have value, yet why are they not money? So the moment that Bitcoin obtained a market price of any sort whatever, for any reason whatever, it became the most explicitly sound and capable monetary tool humanity has ever used. And if that first value was indeed circular, then it was only circular in so much as a social network or the emergence of a language is. A social network is completely valueless, no matter how amazing its potential, when it has no users. But as soon as one of your friends joins, what it enables can completely alter the ease and freedom we have with communicating with each other. With language, creating a new word to represent something or a broad idea is of no value unless others accept it, and yet it happens constantly. Like, think of HODL. HODL is not just to hold. HODL mean, is an entire story about the chaos and the, the conviction of believing in the, uh, Bitcoin in the long run and basically ignoring its short-term price insanity. It is a powerful word in the Bitcoin or the crypto economy lexicon. And no language is ever stagnant. There's an incredible, incredible Audible series uh, called The Story of Language. It's, it's very geeky and it's not, it's not so much about networks. Um, it's, it's a lecture series that traces through history how words, pronunciations, meanings, all sorts of different aspects of languages um, uh, are in constant, like, fluid motion, how they migrate and merge, and why one ends up dominating over another when, you know, cultures and societies collide, and how they tend to migrate or bend in certain specific ways. It's really cool if you love to nerd out on that stuff. Um, I'll try to remember to link to that one in the, uh, in the show notes. But to suggest that money cannot come about in its own right that a good cannot establish itself as money because it is perfectly and explicitly designed to be secure money that can grant its holder um, or, or its user sovereignty and freedom in a way that no alternative can actually accomplish. And the only thing for that to be true is for others to also see that potential is literally to claim that people can't see the potential of a, of a future value but instead could only ever buy a thing for immediate consumption value. You know, the, the very nature of that argument seems really, like deeply tied to a Keynesian mindset that only immediate consumptive utility has any real effect on a market price. And I would imagine many would agree, even those people who tend or seem to claim that, that such a claim is ridiculous for any other good. You know, people can see potential value everywhere. People invest billions of dollars in ideas that are not even implemented yet 
We save for future anticipation of projects that aren't yet possible. We buy tickets for concert, concerts or events that have not yet and may never happen. People work tirelessly for years on projects or uh, uh, personal uh, goals that may never work out, that could end in total disaster, yet they value it enough already just in its potential to spend their lives, their time, and their expertise on its potential value in the future. Well, that's what Bitcoin had. Without a price, without a buyer, with no real market, just a software, piece of software and some digital points, it had the potential to be the most extraordinary and revolutionary monetary good in human history. Its utility was the freedom that those early adopters saw in its potential future. Because of that, someone decided it was worth risking two supreme pizzas in order to get some just in case. And the rest is history. That's the real story of Bitcoin. And Ross Ulbricht was an early pioneer, and I love this article by him, uh, but he was an early pioneer in proving the case for the freedom that Bitcoin makes possible. And even after all those years and some, it's like 2,100 odd days later uh, in a cage, he still believes and understands that better than most. You know, he doesn't deserve a thousandth of the punishment that he's being forced to pay for paving the way for the rest of us. Reminds me of that uh, quote from Moneyball. The first guy through the wall always gets bloody. So, uh, I wanted to take this episode since it was the, it's like the day after the anniversary of the shutdown of Silk Road and Ross Ulbricht's arrest on October 1st. If you have not, please be sure to go to freeross.org. There'll be a link at the top. If you have not done so, please sign the petition for clemency. Um, and uh, I would also recommend, which is on that same page, uh, Railroaded, um, which is an awesome series that documented the unbelievable joke of a trial he received. Um, and uh, if nothing else, the guy deserves a new trial for the scam of due process that uh, got shoved on him. Um, but again, that is freeross.org. Uh, but with that, I think we will wrap this up for today. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow Ross on Twitter and Medium. I will have those links in the show notes so you can check out that article. And support his mother's, uh, Alin Ulbricht, her extraordinary efforts to get some semblance of justice for him. Um, you can also follow me at The Crypto Economy. Subscribe to the show so you can stay up on all the amazing written content in the Bitcoin space. Uh, we cover. The whole thing, we cover all of it, teaching the economics, uh, the philosophy, staying up on the technical developments, and exploring the impact that these technologies will have on our world. And as Ross wrote in this piece, our world will never be the same. So do not go into this new world with blinders on. Instead, listen to the crypto economy and make your way into that future confidently. Um, <laughs> if you would like to support this show, uh, consider becoming a patron. Uh, not only will you be ensuring that I can keep making all of this content available and easy to consume, but you'll also get to join in with the rest of the Crypto Economy crew in our Telegram group. We talk about all sorts of crazy shit in there, and we get to share in the awesomeness that is this new world we are watching grow. If you can't do that, uh, 
you can always support the show just simply by sharing it out. It takes hardly any time at all. Share this out with at least one or two other people that you know in the Bitcoin and crypto economy space who have not yet heard about my show. And today in particular, you do good for two people. My inconsequential project of teaching Bitcoin, and you also bring attention to the injustice of Ross Ulbricht's case just after the anniversary of his arrest. So share this episode, sign the petition, and listen to the crypto economy. Love you guys. I will catch you next time. And until then, take it easy, everybody. I know you're taking it in the teeth out there, but the first guy through the wall, he always gets bloody. Always. This is threatening, not just a way of doing business, but, it's, but in their minds, it's threatening the game. But really, what it's threatening is their livelihood. It's threatening their jobs. It's threatening the way that they do things. And every time that happens, whether it's a government or a way of doing business or whatever it is, the people who are holding the reins have their hands on the switch. They go batshit crazy.